6. And as you are aware, those who've been with us, we've been now in this particular portion of Ephesians for, for some time through the epistle for over a year now in our study. We'll begin our reading in verse 11 and read through verse 17 this morning as we've done over the past many weeks. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we ask as we have read your word, as we will begin our study into this truth this morning, that you would give us understanding, discernment from your Spirit. May Christ be exalted. May you as our Father be glorified. And may the body of Christ be edified through the reading and teaching of your word. Give us ears to hear, Father, and eyes to see, and hearts to receive, minds to understand. And Lord, may you as well give us the commitment and the grace to live, applying our lives to the truth which we read this morning and throughout your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you and be seated. Over the past many weeks, we have done quite extensive review Uh, repetitively in this portion of the text. And I find it necessary, again, rather than jumping in one verse, because really that's where we'll be this morning, I believe it is necessary for us to, again, review the entirety of this portion of the text that we might have an understanding of the truths which we will delve into this morning. And so, again, for those who've been with us, I know that this is, again, the, the beginning of this is repetitive each week, but I believe it is, again, beneficial and necessary for us to benefit and understand these truths. And so, and as well, there are those among us that have not been with us. And so it's beneficial for them also to be able to understand the background leading up to this particular portion of the text. And so, as I've done throughout the study of Ephesians and this portion of Ephesians chapter 6, in which, in which Paul is, is addressing the armor and the spiritual warfare which we face, this morning I want to again review our previous studies of this portion of the text as we again have done over the past many weeks. Now, Paul has written this passage, as we have said, due to the war and the nature of attacks, which we face daily as believers and soldiers of Jesus Christ. There are two primary fronts of attacks which we face. You should be able to say this without even reading them this morning. The first is the attacks which come from within. In James chapter 1, 13 through 15, just briefly uh, reminding you that James says that men are drawn away of their own lust and enticed and that when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, sin when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So this is an attack that takes place from within us because of the sinful nature. And again, let me, let me clarify this truth. There is a sinful nature which we possess. There is a body in which we live. And then for those who are believers, there is the spirit of dwelling within us. Do not confuse especially the body and the sinful nature because they are not the same thing. So at times, Scripture refers to the flesh, and it's talking about literally the flesh which is... Uh, connected uh, to you through the bones and then the muscles and sinews and so on and so forth. And then other times it speaks of the flesh and it's speaking of the sinful fleshly nature that lives within this flesh of this body in which you exist. 
And so Galatians 5, 16 and 17, I say all that again to lead us into this truth when Paul says that the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. Here Paul is not talking about the body. He's talking about the fleshly sinful nature which lives and exists within your body. And so Paul is saying that the flesh lusteth against the spirit, that your fleshly sinful nature desires to control your body in which you live and make claim to that of which it has no rightful claim. Because we are bought with a price and we are to glorify God. Therefore, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, with both our body and our spirit, which are God's. And so both our body, this body in which we live, and the spirit within us are his. And so we are to submit ourselves to him. And so there's this battle taking place within. Second, the tax which come from without. Ephesians 6, 11, and 12, we've read them this, this, these verses this morning. And 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9, in which, of course, Peter says that uh, our adversary walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, and so we have an enemy without. And Paul commands the church at Ephesus to stand in the position they have been provided in Jesus Christ. And this command to stand, as we have seen, is literally Paul stating that we are to maintain the position. Paul further commanded the church to put on the armor. Now, God has made this provision of this armor for us so that we might daily clothe ourselves in the victory of our Lord Jesus Christ. To put on the armor of light, Paul has explained in Romans chapter 13, is to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, Romans 13, 12. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Then in verse 14, just one verse between these two, he says, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision of the flesh, for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. And so what Paul is saying is that we are to put on this armor. In Ephesians 6, he refers to it as the armor that God has provided. And then here in verse 14 of chapter 12 of Romans, 13 of Romans, Paul says that to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, which is to say put on the armor. So what's important for us to remember here is that this armor is God's provision for us, not for a daily victory we're trying to gain, but God has given us this armor in the person of Christ. It's not in addition to Jesus. To put on Jesus is to put on the armor. So to live in the truth of chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians, this position we've been given in Jesus Christ is therefore to put on the armor, to clothe ourselves in Christ and God's provision for us in the person of Christ. And so what we see is the armor is not in addition to Jesus, it is Jesus. And therefore, if Christ is our victory, then the armor is not given so that we can go out and win some battle or win some daily fight. The armor is given that we might recognize and stand, maintain the position that God has already provided us in the person of Jesus Christ. And so God is saying here, Paul is telling us, that we are to maintain the position God has granted us in Christ, Ephesians 1 through 3, and therefore experience daily, realize the victory that is already ours. So stand in the victory. Stand in this position. As we continue to examine this provision of God's armor, I mentioned last week there are some truths which we must remember. First of all, this armor is not God's additional provision to our Lord Jesus, as I mentioned, but it is provided to us in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. And second, God's command for us to stand and put on the armor is not a provision for us to gain a victory, as I mentioned, but it is God's provision for us to realize and or experience the victory he has provided for us in Christ. So, I say to you, stand. Maintain your position in God's provision of His truth, because that's where He began. Then He says, stand or maintain your position in God's provision of His righteousness. 
then stand, maintain your position in God's provision of his gospel of peace, the good news that we are at peace with God. Again, and the emphasis there is that we are in a war. And we're not fighting for victory. We are fighting from the position of victory. We are facing, standing the position of the attacks against the gospel, against Christ, against the faith, against... Again, these aren't personal attacks, so we feel and experience them in a personal manner. They are actually attacks against Christ, attacks against the gospel of Christ, attacks against the faith in which we stand. And so we experience, per, we experience them personally, but they are not personal, actually. It's just that we are identified in Jesus, and therefore it becomes personal because we are in him and he is in us. And so that's where, that's where this battle is taking place. And so we are to maintain the, the position God has given us of the gospel of peace, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, Paul said. And when he makes that statement, he is saying that we are to, uh, we are to be prepared in the gospel of peace, the good news of peace. And this is in the midst of attack and warfare. Understand the context. The point is that we are not at peace with the world. We are not at peace with our enemy, with Satan and all of his his forces that would be, but in the midst of all of the battle and turmoil, we are at perfect peace with God because of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul is explaining that to us. Then he said, stand, maintain your position in God's provision of faith. And last week we saw that uh, we are to stand uh, with this shield of faith. And again, the emphasis here, of course, is that the shield of faith is able to protect from all directions. This would have been an elongated shield, a large shield woman could have crouched behind. It was not a small shield, so it would cover and protect the body. And, and of course, faith is our only, our only defense against the very attacks uh, made against the faith. And that's what's interesting in this, in this situation. We'll look at that a little bit more in just a moment. So first of all, we are commanded to stand in truth. Verse 14, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. Truth is the very foundation upon which we stand. Again, just reviewing all this to help you to understand. Without truth, there is no true righteousness. Without truth, there is no true faith. Without truth, there is no true gospel. Without truth, there is no true salvation. The whole point is truth is the foundation of all of this. And then we second are commanded to stand in righteousness. Verse 14, Paul goes on to say, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Within this verse, Paul is exegeting or expounding Isaiah 59, verses 15 through 17. And that is so important. Again, Paul is not just teaching some new truth. Paul is explaining the Old Testament teachings and prophecy that had already been given. In Isaiah 59, 15 through 17, we find this, that God has clothed us, he has covered us, he has protected us, he has immersed us, he has imputed unto us the very righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Isaiah 61, 10, just a couple of chapters later, we read, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments and as a bride adorneth herself with jewels. Here we find again, this passage is what Paul is speaking of in Ephesians 6. He's explaining this garment of salvation, the robe of righteousness, how that we are protected in Christ, of course. Third, we are commanded to stand in the gospel of peace. Verse 15, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. This command in verse 15 is also rooted in the Old Testament prophecy of Isaiah, Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, thy God reigneth. Paul further expounds on the truth of Isaiah's prophecy in his epistle of Romans, as we have seen, Romans 10, 15, as it is written. 
How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. So you notice that feet are associated with the gospel of peace. And Paul is expounding upon that here, saying again, stand in the truth of the peace that has been made for you by Christ with God. And so we are to stand in this peace. Despite all the, the, the conflict, we have peace with God, which is ultimately most important. Then fourth, stand in faith, he said, verse 16, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. So in this verse, again, Paul explains the power of the faith in which we stand. And within this command, Paul reminds us that it is faith which is our greatest defense against the attacks of the enemy. Above all, he said. So within this statement, Paul is, is explaining the significance of the presence of this faith in our lives. While we are grounded in truth, we are grounded in righteousness, we are grounded in the peace we have with God, the enemy continually attempts to turn our focus away from the truth upon which we stand. I am secure in Christ, period. And Paul is explaining that in Ephesians 1 through 3. The problem is, I am daily being attacked to turn my focus and attention up from, away from the Christ upon which I stand, upon which I am rooted and grounded. And so in this text, Paul is explaining above all, this is especially important because faith is the means provided by God by which we believe God. And so it is for this reason Paul says above all or especially. In other words, here closely, we are not only to stand in truth, we are not only to stand in righteousness, we're not only to stand in the good news that we have peace with God in Jesus Christ, but we are to daily live in remembrance and the victory of this truth. Despite the attacks of the enemy and his attempt to distract us from the truth of the victory which we have in Jesus Christ. And in other words, above all, taking the shield of faith, and here's why. We already stand in truth. We already stand in righteousness. We already stand in the gospel of peace, that we are at peace with God. The issue is the enemy wants to cause us to turn from this truth and therefore attempt to fight ourselves, attempt to, to distract us from Christ. And faith is the means by which we believe God. Faith is believing God. And so it is the very faith which is being attacked, which is our defense. In other words, when we are attacked, rather than not believing God, we should be driven more so to believing God and resting and trusting in Him and His provision for us in Christ. So maintain this position, Paul says. He says, above all, taking the shield of faith. And again, Paul's use of the metaphor of a shield when speaking of faith, it bears the importance regarding this provision of defense against the attacks of the enemy. Again, this is not a small shield, an elongated shield rather, and it has the potential to completely cover one in the midst of an attack from any direction. And although we are aware of the enemy and we are privy to as many methods of attack, as I said to you last week, one thing we can never know is when and we can never know from where the attacks may come. And it's for this reason that it is imperative for us to live daily believing God and all He has promised, all of His truth in Christ. It is only by faith, believing God in His Word, that we are protected from the many attacks of the enemy. Think of Paul for a moment. Paul experienced tremendous attack and persecution and tribulation for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in all of that, you know what Paul said? In fact, I'm often reminded of this, and I find this to be a very interesting two passages of Scripture. In the book of Acts, whenever Paul is converted and brought to faith in Christ, you remember what the Lord said? He said to Ananias, he is, my, he is my chosen vessel unto me, and I will show him what great things he must suffer. Paul would suffer for my name's sake, the Lord told Ananias. That's a pretty astounding statement. Listen, when God says, I'm going to show him what he's, the great things he would suffer 
for my name's sake. God is saying he's going to suffer greatly. But then Paul in Corinthians writes and says, all this suffering is but for a moment. And it's all a small thing. Are you hearing this? In light of the eternal weight of glory that God is working. God says, I'm going to cause Paul to suffer greatly for my name's sake. And Paul says, all this is but a small thing in comparison to the weight of glory that God is working in and through all of this. Hear me, if we have that perspective, then we are using the shield of faith in the sense of we are understanding that we believe God despite everything else. And despite the attacks that happen, despite the conflict, we are resting and trusting in He who is our victory. And that's what Paul is saying. He says that, Wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And the attacks of the enemy are not personal. As I mentioned, although such attacks do personally affect us, the enemy is constantly attacking the gospel and the faith upon which we stand. Within this verse, Paul explains that it is the very faith which is constantly under attack. In other words, the very thing which the enemy attacks is the one provision we are given that is victorious over the enemy and his attacks. 1 John 5, 4 and 5, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Faith is the means by which we are provided and daily experience the victory we have been given in Jesus Christ. We are overcomers. We are victorious because of the all-sufficient Jesus who dwells within us. For He is our armor. He is our victory. As John wrote in 1 John 4, 4, Year of God, little children, and ye have overcome them, speaking of the world and the enemy, because greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. So this morning we are continuing, and we're almost finished with this section of our study of Ephesians chapter 6, and we are continuing to examine these fi- this final verse in which Paul describes the spiritual armor God has provided us in Jesus Christ. Paul commanded the church at Ephesus to stand in salvation. He says, verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation. Now, everything Paul has said at this point, he doesn't continue to say, oh, stand in righteousness, stand in salvation. But notice what he said. Having done all to stand, stand therefore. Maintain the position, having your loins go about in truth. So where am I standing? In truth. Having the breastplate of righteousness, where am I standing? In the righteousness of Jesus. Having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, where am I standing? In the peace I have with God. Having the, bre- uh, the shield of faith, where am I standing? In this faith and with this faith. And now he says, and the helmet of salvation. So I'm still standing in the truth of this salvation. The heart of man, as referred to within Scripture, refers not to the muscle pumping blood within one's body, as I've said to you many times, but rather is used in reference to the mind or or the innermost part of one's being. And the head is that which controls thought and intent. So when he says, take on the helmet of salvation, what he is saying is that our heart is protected, our mind is protected by this salvation we have been provided in Jesus Christ. One's head is to be completely covered, One's head is to be completely secured. One's mind is to, be, is to be planted and consumed with this salvation which has been provided by God. Various sources state that statistically, a gunshot directly to the head or heart, interestingly enough, is fatal 90% of the time or better. The point is, the mind and the heart, in this case, the physical heart pumping blood, 
But in, in light of the teaching of Scripture in reference to the heart and or mind, they are obviously vital to life. And this is the means by which we think. This is the means by which we process. This is the means by which we understand. And, and it is all important. And so I mentioned this to point out the significance of the breastplate and helmet, which Paul mentions as a metaphor within this text. In verse 14, he said, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. As we have previously discovered through our studies within this verse, Paul is referencing again Isaiah's prophecy, which he also does in verse 17, when he says, And take the helmet of salvation. So Paul is referencing Isaiah both concerning the breastplate of righteousness, the gospel of peace, and the helmet of salvation. The heart, which refers again to the mind of man, must be protected amid the attacks of the enemy. The enemy's desire is to turn our minds, to turn our hearts away from the Lord and his truth. However, the Lord has provided his garments of salvation and his robe of righteousness. And we've already seen this in Isaiah 61.10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in, God, in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments and as a bride adorneth herself with jewels. So again, robes of righteousness, garments of salvation. The same truth Paul is expounding on here in Ephesians chapter 6. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. The righteousness of Jesus has been imputed unto us, credited to the, our account, and we are covered in that. Listen, Paul says in Romans 8, who is he that condemneth? Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. It is Christ, God, who justifies us. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? The point is, it doesn't mean there's no attack, but the attack has no relevance because we are clothed and protected in the righteousness of Jesus and the helmet of salvation. So the heart and head are both protected in the person of Christ. Through our study of this text, we've also seen Paul's use of this language in his epistle to the Thessalonian believers. 1 Thessalonians 5.8, he said, But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Again, Paul is teaching the same truth. He uses different terminology in terms of now, he says that we are to put on the breastplate of faith and love, and the help, for him, the hope of salvation. And in Thessalonians, Paul refers to the helmet as the hope of salvation, and as is often the case within the Scriptures. The word hope, as it's translated in this text, in this verse, it is a noun, first of all, and it means, which means it is something that we possess, not something that we do. And the word hope here implies confident expectation. Not meaning, I am, I am looking forward to something with great, uh, with great desire that it come to pass. No, this is a confident expectation that I possess. And this hope of salvation is a confident expectation. It's something that I possess, and therefore it produces an expectation that is absolute, that is definitive, that is, that is unchanging. Paul is saying here that our minds, which is to say again our hearts, as biblically defined, are protected by the confidence and the absolute expectation of this salvation which God has provided us. No matter how fierce the attack, no matter how dark the day may seem, we have confidence in the God of our salvation. Now, when we say salvation, biblically defined, the word salvation means 
Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to begin reading in verse 11. The word salvation, biblically defined, means what? Deliverance. But there's also a theological description or definition of the word salvation. And that's important for us to understand because salvation not only means I am delivered, but it also mean, it also includes deliverance first, redemption, reconciliation, justification, sanctification, and glorification. So when Paul says the confident expectation, he's not merely saying, oh, we can have confidence that in the end, no matter how bad the attack may be, we have absolute deliverance in Jesus. Though that is true, Paul is saying, no matter about the attacks, no matter how fierce they may be, we have a confident expectation because we've been delivered, redeemed, reconciled, justified, sanctified, and will be glorified through this provision of God in Jesus Christ. What a hope! Confidence! A confident expectation. Hear me. Because I am delivered, because I am redeemed, because I've been reconciled, because I've been justified, because I have been and am being practically sanctified, I am absolutely confident that God's not going to end it there, but I shall be glorified. It's going to be. This is hope of salvation. This doesn't mean, well, I, I hope I'm going to get to heaven. No, this is confidence, not just of heaven, but of God's faithfulness to finish this work, which He has begun. So we have a confident expectation in this salvation God has provided us in Jesus Christ. We are secure in Him. He is the very anchor of our souls. Paul refers to these truths in his epistle of Romans. Romans 5, 1-11. A little lengthy passage, but let's hear what Paul says. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. Are you following what Paul is saying here? Does this sound like familiar language in relation to Ephesians 6? Notice again, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Oh, mean conflict, attacks, spiritual warfare maybe? Knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience, experience, and experience hope. The more we experience the more so we are confident of God's faithfulness and God's provision for us in Jesus Christ. And verse 5 says, And hope, this confident expectation, maketh not ashamed. Why? Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then. Listen to what Paul says here in verse 9. Being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Now pay attention to this next statement. Much more being reconciled, 
We shall be saved by his life. This has so much to do with this hope, with this confident expectation I'm about to explain to you. Verse 11, And not only so, but we also join God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Paul just reworded Ephesians 6 here. That's what we find. Paul stated in Romans 5.10 again, pay attention to this please, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. He already said we've been reconciled to God, justified through the atonement God has made for us. We have peace with God. We have hope, this confident expectation. And hope maketh not ashamed, which means hope does not disappoint. This confidence will not disappoint. That's what Paul is explaining. And in this statement, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Paul refers to the absolute truth that it is the risen Jesus who is our intercession before the Father. Our salvation, including deliverance from sin and wrath, including redemption and reconciliation to God, including justification, sanctification, and even glorification, is as certain and eternal as is our Lord Jesus Christ himself. Paul is saying, this is that hope. Being reconciled, Being enemies of God, we were reconciled to God through his death. He said, how much more so being reconciled, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? And what Paul is saying here is that it is Jesus Christ who is our high priest. It is Jesus Christ who is our intercession. We are told in Scripture, he ever liveth to make intercession for us. What is Paul saying? He's saying we are reconciled. Through, or through his death, and even more so through his life, or be, meaning this, that if we were enemies and God reconciled us, now we are his children, now we are his friends, now we, we are experiencing his love in the person and provision of Jesus Christ, then is God not going to faithfully perform and complete this work in Christ being our high priest and the one who intercedes on our behalf? Look, this is the confident expectation of this salvation, that God is faithful, and I'm protected in this. Are you understanding? Look, sometimes as I'm attacked, I find myself in sin. And I'm not taught just personal sins. I'm taught even in light of the gospel. Listen, I am discouraged sometimes. I am frustrated sometimes. Are you following? Concerning the attack against the gospel, the attack against faith, attack against Christ. I, I, can, I can become... I can become... Very cynical, extremely cynical concerning these things. But might I say to you, you can't see my father-in-law's back there fist bumping. (laughs) I can become extremely cynical concerning these matters. And they frustrate, and there's times, I, I just warned a young man yesterday to not allow even his frustration to become a distraction from the answer, which is Christ. Because it is so easy for us to even become distracted by that which righteously frustrates us or or angers us to where we begin to focus more on it than we are on Christ, which is the answer to all of this. So see, the attacks are present, but here's my confident expectation. Even when I am distracted, even whenever I sin, even whenever I am not living and walking in these moments by faith. I am in faith, but though I am not remembering these truths and living in them and applying myself to God's promise to believe in God in these matters, here's what I know. 
I have the helmet of salvation. I am protected in the robes of righteousness which are given to me in the person of Jesus Christ. I am, I've been provided this shield of faith. I stand with, in peace with God no matter what. And the truth of the matter is, despite my failure, despite the fact that I am prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, the songwriter said, prone to leave the God I love. Despite all of these truths, here's what is certain. God will complete, perform, perfect this work of Christ which He has begun in my life. And I stand absolutely confident in this. Look, if you're looking to your your performance in the midst of, of conflict, if your hope, if your confidence is in how well you do or how strong you stand, then you are in grave danger. Our confidence, this expectation is in Christ, God's provision for us in Christ. It is this salvation which is our confidence. This hope of salvation does not leave one ashamed, which is again to say it does not disappoint. This is absolute confidence in the finished work of Jesus Christ who now liveth to ever make intercession on our behalf. Let me say this in closing. Stand. Maintain the position of confidence in Jesus Christ and His finished work of redemption. I've said to you many times, people say, oh, you need to be a, try to live a better Christian life. You need to stop trying to live a Christian life. You need to start dying that Christ might live His life in you. Live in the truth of who Christ is, who God has made Him to be on your behalf, and your position in Him. Stand. Not march. Not, not run. Not go to engage the battle. Stand. Maintain the position. Chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians. That God has given you in the person of Jesus Christ.